0: I'm going to add my welcome. My name is Barry, one of the pastors here. Just good to have you here. Thanks for making this worship a part of your Sabbath day and Sabbath experience on this nice, cool, (laughs) crisp, humid Sunday. Um, We are continuing in the book of Colossians, this this incredible book of the Bible. Um, We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I want to give just a, just a little setup before we read the, the text, and then I'm going to give a little more background. Um, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, um, he had this little pattern that he would do uh, where he would like, spend the first half of the book talking about what's been done for us and all that has happened and explaining the gospel, and then the second half of the book talking about, because of what's been done, here's how we should live. Here's how we should be. And Colossians 3 represents that turn in the book of Colossians. And so where we've been over the last few weeks, we've been exploring the gospel and what it is. And and now we're making a turn into how that should affect our behavior as we look into this. So if you would stand and, and join me in reading this. Now, this is a longer passage. It's one that we might normally sit for. I mean, you know, we have respect for God's word, but I know it has its limits, right? (laughs) we stand. Um, This one might normally sit, but because of the first phrase of this passage, we have to be standing to read this, all right? So let me read this and just read with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. And I just lost my place (laughs) as the Lord. (laughs) That's not in the text, by the way. As the Lord has forgiven you. That's probably the most important part. I'm going to write back to that. If you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This is one of those passages uh, that I could probably pretty much say, we're just going to read it over and over for the next half an hour. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. And, and, and the passage that, that Brad read in Titus, just, that's a kicker to this. And I feel in a big way, I'm, I'm not worthy to share this. And really, in one sense, I'm, I'm not worthy even just to be up here sharing anything. But thankfully, God's grace is sufficient. And at that point, I know Eric has has prayed for this in this time, but with us having just read this, and I just want to take another moment to pause and just open our hearts and our minds to the Spirit and what God's Spirit wants to say and to do and to teach in us this morning. Would you just pray with me? Thank you, God, so much for um, how you gently teach us and show us. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the richness of this passage. Father, truly, I I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable to you. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. May everything we do um, uh, reflect that. Father, I pray that, that there will be no words that would get in the way of what you are saying through this passage. We give this to you. God, we give you our hearts. We give you our soft hearts. Father, we just ask that you would work in us what you would have to work in us. We give this to you. Thank you, Father. And let's pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, You know, the the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, he, he wrote this letter to believers in the city called Colossae, thus the name Colossians. And he wrote it pretty much within 50 to 60 years of Jesus being here on earth. 50 to 60, 60, that is not long. That's a very short stretch. In fact, that's a very youthful stretch, 50 to 60 years. you know. Um, so, but truly, in ancient literature, anything written within 100 years of an event is basically considered play-by-play from ancient literature standpoint. And here we are, we're just within a few decades of Jesus' ministry, and we have this letter that's about his ministry, so not only does that somewhat verify the events of Jesus' work and ministry, it helps authenticate the content of the letter. And you know that's just a bit of a, a nod to apologetics for those who like that, but it, to me it's a helpful thing too. There are things we can know and trust and trust what's being said. But one of the things that happened, or several things that happened in those decades between Jesus' ministry and when Paul had the occasion to write this letter, Is there were there were many explanations and theories that were beginning to prop up, to crop up, that were attempting to explain Jesus and to explain who Jesus was and who this Jesus figure was, and and some of these attempts were 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 based out of things going on at the time and philosophies that were used to try to explain worldviews, and there were there were attempts to say that Jesus was well, he was half God and he was. Half man. There were other, other theories that said, well, he was a, an emanation of God. That's the Gnostic aspect. You know, he was a, a copy of a copy of a copy. God was pure, but if he's going to interact with man, he can't interact with man. So, copy after copy after copy until finally we get to Jesus. He was, he was evil enough he could interact with man. You know, so that was, that was a theory. There were all these things going on. Well, one of the common threads of all these theories was just simply they were all using human terms and human systems and human traditions to try to explain Jesus. And here's the thing, you can't do that. To try to do that completely misses the truth of who Jesus is, and it completely misses the power of the gospel. And this is why Paul wrote in Colossians 1, just a a quick throwback, talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Listen to this. Listen to all this in relation to maybe how they might have been trying to explain Jesus in human terms. But for Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning, the first form from the firstborn from the dead, and everything might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Any questions? It's like a mic drop. Boom. There it is. That's who Jesus is. And we've we've talked on this. Pastor Eric, I think, was preaching on that particular passage. We've, we've, We've hit on that. We've hit on some of that truth. But this is who Jesus is. He cannot be explained through worldly reasoning and philosophies. This is also, I think, why Paul wrote in Colossians 2: see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. There's something very big that's at stake here. And it's this. Anything that is not Jesus, any way to try to describe Jesus, any way to to experience Jesus, anything that is not Jesus will clog the pipeline between us and Jesus. And here's the thing. It's a two-directional pipeline. Because we have this pipeline between us here where we are now and Jesus where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we, as we just read. And if we lose sight of that pipeline, we lose two directions. We lose, we lose the power that's coming from Jesus in that spot and where he is and the hope that comes from that, from us being able to, to know that and to live out of that truth. We also lose the redemptive work that's coming from that pipeline, from heaven to earth, as we are navigating life here on this earth. So we have the hope that's set up before us, but then we also have the power to navigate this earth, to to be the redemptive force that God is using and doing in this earth. And I've heard it even described sometimes, one of our roles is simply we are to help to try to bring heaven here on earth. It's the Spirit that does that. You've heard us knock around this theological phrase, already, not yet. We've got this great reward ready, all set and ready for us. We don't have it yet, but we get to experience it in in small doses and little amounts. And if we start to clog that pipeline between us and Jesus by trying to describe who he is or experience him in man-made or human traditional ways, we will miss out, and there are grave consequences. And here's the thing. Just as the Colossian folks had philosophies trying to describe Jesus in human terms, we have similar philosophies today there are many theories and many things that abound that try to explain jesus i think this is what's led to some of the faith deconstruction stories that we've been hearing from celebrity believers and we touched on some of that in our doubt series leading up to colossians then there are those standby philosophies you know well jesus he was a great teacher uh, but you know he was just a moral teacher he was a good social worker um then there are those who might say, well, Jesus was a figure created by the apostles. And then the Apostle Paul just kind of amplified that. He really is the one who created Christianity and, and created Jesus. But you know, I think that so those abound, but there's there's another explanation or, or theory that I think is even a little more insidious and even more common and probably more dangerous. And it's when we make an attempt to create our own faith walk in a way that might represent the least common denominator of all the circles of life that we interact with. I've done it, it's happened to me, where you, you kinda try to come up with this, this faith journey that might be the least intrusive, the least offensive, and a little bit watered down, so that I can create this spirituality component, this component of spirituality, and I can just fit it in into any routines of life where I operate, and it's just gonna fit in just fine. When I'm doing that, or when I am toying with these other theories of, uh, of who Jesus is, I am creating, just, I'm creating a less-than experience of the gospel, and what it is, and the power that it is, and the hope that it brings me. I will be living life without the hope, and I will be living life without the power. And I think that that's the reason why Paul really went on this cosmic tour de force, in Colossians 1 and 2, I mean, really, Colossians 1 and 2, in my book, those, are, those chapters are kind of like the universal theory of everything. You know, Paul is explaining Jesus, how he's above all things, in all things, before all things, all things held together by him, visible and invisible. And then in Colossians 3, Paul turns his focus to a very personal tour de force of a personal theory of everything. <laughs> you know, I think whenever we prepare messages or sermons, and those of us who get up and speak and teach, we might think that every passage that we are doing is, is you know the most life-changing passage of all time. And I'm tending to think about that of Colossians 3 right now. You know, it's, it's almost like it kind of explains everything. It's one of the big fulcrum passages, fulcrum chapters of the Bible. And I just hope and pray that today that God can do something with this and, and with my feeble thoughts and helping us to see this and, and see this in our lives. Because here's the thing, and here's one of the big points that's being made right in the passage we just read. As believers, our true life is in Christ. That is our true life. Our eternity, for those of us who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, our eternity has begun. It's begun. But until we get there, we, out of obedience, are to bring a version of heaven to earth but as we keep the reality of our eternal glory in plain open sight, that's what keeps our anticipation of that eternal glory vibrant and fresh and alive. We have to keep that eternal glory in plain open sight or, we, or, or the, we lose the anticipation factor. And that anticipation factor is what gives us power and encouragement and motivation. Um, funny, just this week I was in a little little meeting. Um, I, have a, I have a side gig, I guess you'd say. I work at the hospital as a patient rep. I call it a side gig. It's a, it's a full-time side gig, but um, it, uh, it's not the life calling, but it's what I'm, what I'm needing to do. Patient rep, so I'm you know patient advocate type thing. Well, we had a little team meeting, and, teams meeting and, and just a little icebreaker to the meeting uh, with, with the group I was part of. Um, the question was posed to me. We each were assigned a question. Which would you rather have? Would you rather anticipate a day off or have the day off itself? And at first, I that's a no-brainer, you know, the day off. Now I thought, well, you know, that's a fair question, you know, because it's that anticipation that gets you through the hard week, you know. I mean, that's why we don't take Fridays off. That's an easy day, right, because it's, it's the day before we're, we're away. And, and I thought, you know, so that's where I chose the day off. I would much rather have the day off than leading up to, but you get that. It's the anticipation of what's going to come that gives us encouragement and motivation. And and the gospel in our lives is the exact same way. It's keeping ourselves fresh with the glory that we have to come. That's our true life. That's what gives us what we need to navigate everything that's going to be happening to us. And in this chapter, Paul tells us what we need to do while we anticipate and wait on this eternal glory. And he tells it to us very clearly. And really, you can divide this chapter into a couple segments. And, and the first segment is he's telling us what to do. And the second segment, he's telling us how to do it. And he uses some, uh, some really pretty incredibly vivid imagery and metaphors to drive home these cosmic, cosmically important points. And he is stressing to us that our real life is not here. We are not earthbound, so don't get used to it. All things that are important to us are with Christ. And the thing is, the thing is, we are chronically distracted by the earthbound. Chronically distracted. Speaking of the hospital, I was, I was walking from one section to the other, and, and out, of, out of the corner of my eye, I caught something out of a window which thought initially was, was a helicopter, which meant, oh, care flight, you know. And I got to say, it's kind of cool. You work somewhere where a helicopter lands on your roof. You know, that's, that's cool. So I, I look, and then I see that it's, it's, a, it's a bird. It's, it, and in and, and my mind, I actually articulated, oh, it's just a bird. <laughs> and then the heavenly part of my mind <laughs> kicked in and said, what'd you say? Just a bird? <laughs> just a bird? And then I thought I was, I was, I was cut to the quick. Because, yeah, helicopters are cool, you know, and it's cool what has to happen for a helicopter to fly. You have to discover the elements of physics, and you have to invent propellers, and you have to train pilots, and all these things, and, yeah, that's cool, but a bird, it just has to flap its wings. That's all it does. It flaps its wings, and it flies. It freaking flies. And the thing that struck me is, <laughs> what struck me is, that's where, I'm to, that's where I'm to keep my focus. That's where it is. I'm so chronically distracted by the earthbound. A helicopter is an invention of man. A bird is a creation of God. Now you could say that, yeah, well, the physics that we've got to let us discover—I don't know—but the bird is the heavenly thing. That's where we are, and we are so chronically distracted. And as we get into this passage, hopefully, we will see that what's being what what's being put before us are ways to keep from being so chronically distracted with the things around us. I actually want to just step back into the passage, almost line by line, and looking at at the different points that Paul has has given and. We might get just a tad technical at a couple of points there. You know, the the thing is, there's some richness in the language that is used in this. And I hope that in looking at this, it'll give us some imagery that we can grab a hold of. And that does mean I'm going to dive into the Greek just a little bit, which is just going to make me sound smarter than I am, but, you know, I'm I'm not. And I'll have to say this. I think I've said it before, but I'm just going to say it again. I did have two years of Greek in seminary. Yeah, you know, big deal. I came out of that. I came out of that going, if God is a loving God, why did he send his son when the dominant language was Greek? You know? Why did he make us force us all to have to learn that crazy language? And it's, it's one of those languages where once you get the rules down, the exceptions come flooding in. you know. And it's just more, more exceptions than rules. But as you get into it, you realize there is some imagery in the Greek language. I mean, okay, God is love. The Greeks have several words for love. Maybe that's one reason why he sent his son when the dominant language is Greek. So again, we're just gonna get into that just a tad. I don't wanna to get too technical, but there's some things I think that can that pull this out. So Paul told us what to do and he told us how to do it. There are four to-dos and three how to do it. So our first what to do is just simply set your minds. We've touched on this a bit, but set your minds. Colossians 3, one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That first line, that, that word if, you can read it like this. If you've been raised with Christ and you have been, you have been, by the way, then seek things that have to do with your new life. And your new life is hidden in Christ. And Christ is your life. Set your mind on these things. Now here's the deal. We hear that. Set your mind on things above. That's great. Sounds great to do. But you know, life is life, right? Not only are we chronically distracted, but life is life. Sometimes you have one of those weeks. Sometimes you have one of those weeks where your work pressure is spilling over into your family life. Or maybe your home life and your drive to be a good steward, a good friend, a good roommate, or a good spouse, or a good parent, it starts to pressure your work life. You get a little bit overwhelmed and you feel like you can't do anything that's right or everything that you do is wrong. And then all of a sudden you realize that your bathtub is stopped up. And then that reminds you that you've got a light on your dashboard light that tells you you've got a leaky tire. And then your mind's like, what a juxtaposition. I've got a clogged drain and a leaky tire. If I could just switch those two things and let the, let the tire release and let the drain, or let the tire clog and the drain release. Could something like, not that I've had a week like that, you know. And you spent your last dime on your second to last bill. And now you've got a clogged drain. We have these weeks. And actually one week will build up after another. And you think, how in the world can I keep my mindset on things above? Well, exactly. You can't. You can't. Number one, how in the world? Well, we're not in the world. Well, we're kind of in the world. But our goal, our, pri- our life, our true life, our real life is not here. That is not you. What I just described, yeah, kind of real events from, from a week, but that's not me. My real life is in Christ. It's hidden in Christ. Christ is hidden in God. There's almost like a little nesting doll kind of thing going on. I'm in Christ, Christ is in God. That is my real life. Earthbound things are not my real life. Earthbound systems of belief are not my real life. Earthbound goals that I think I need to achieve, those are not my real life. Earthbound milestones that I think I need to reach, those are not my real life things that bring me frustration, things that make me anxious, those things are not my real life. Christ is my real life. This is where we are to set our minds. And I gotta, I gotta say, I had a funny moment. I actually, that to me, that aspect, that point, that truth was an original epiphany with me just in my own study time. And it, it's kind of fired me up a little bit. I'm like, this is awesome, this is great news, this is a relief. What I'm seeing, this clogged drain is not my life. Christ is my life who is up there seated at the right hand. I'm in him. He's in God. And then I thought, well, that's kind of cool, but maybe that's a heretical thought. I don't know. And then so I went to look at some other, you know, commentaries and 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 I read the message. And I read the message out of, you know, Eugene Peterson wrote the message. Look at what how Eugene Peterson translated this particular passage in Colossians chapter three, verses uh, one through or three through four. Your old life is dead. Hopefully we've got it up here. Yeah. Your new life, which is your real life even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. When Christ, parenthesis, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up to the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. That's your real life. That's, That's what's truly us and who we truly are. And, and that, that verb, set your mind, I try to find some magic in the word set. You know, man, is that something, could there be something powerful? Not really. To set your mind is really, it, that word has to do with what you do with your mind. It's basically, let yourself be preoccupied. Let yourself be preoccupied with the things of God. Don't be preoccupied with the things of the earth. You could think of it this way. Over here we have things of the earth. We have earthbound things. Over here we have things of heaven. We have things of Christ, our real life. We can just say, okay, here's my mind. I'm gonna take my mind, I'm gonna set it here. I'm not gonna set it there. I'm setting it here. This is my perspective. This is where I get everything that describes and explains what I do and who I am. This is what I'm gonna let myself be preoccupied with. So then once we do that, after we set our minds on things above, we're going to have some things we don't need. And so now it's time to kind of maybe have a proper funeral, which leads us to the next thing that we are to do. Second to do, put to death and put away. Now, I kind of combined two things in one there, but they, they, they go together. So put to death and put away. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality and passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That list of things, those things that we just heard and read, these things, they are, they are dead to you. That's kind of what's being said. They're dead to you. Quit living as if they are not dead to you. And you might even say, quit picking at the scab. There's a temptation to react to things that come our way through our earthbound reactions. And that's what's being listed here. And, you know, here's the deal. Disappointment comes. Regret comes. Hurt comes. We, We go through loss. We go through hard things. We are then tempted when we have disappointment and frustration, regret, we're tempted to get angry. We might be tempted to want to hurt someone, maybe emotionally, maybe physically, I don't know. We might want to unleash some therapeutic words. And it is funny how some words are more therapeutic than others, and yeah, I do happen to know that from experience, and if mom and dad are listening online, I'm sorry, Um, but they are, but we're tempted to, and it says, obscene language, that's part of what we, that's part of our old nature, we're tempted to do that, we're tempted to react in that way those things are dead to us. Now here's the deal. I'm not proposing a a perfect, perfect existence, but I do want us to know that our normal modes of reacting, they come from systems of the world, they come from our flesh, and they're dead to us. And when we react out of those elements, we are basically going full zombie mode. You know, we are... Propping up things that are dead. Those things are not us. Our life is in Christ. I think there's another thing that's kind of important to note here, and this is just a little bit of a side note. There is an imagery of baptism that's being used here and shown. You know, backing up in Colossians 2, we're told that we've been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then in verse 1, it says we've been raised with Christ. So in Colossians 2, we're told we've been buried with Him. Everything that of those bad elements is buried in Him. And so when, you, when we have baptism, when we do baptism, that's exactly what that is. That is a symbol of that. We are going underwater. We are, we are being buried, and then we are raised up. And when we are raised up, we leave those things underwater. We leave them there. And the reason we do that is because we don't need them anymore. They are dead to us. We don't need them. And... I might even just say that and throw that out as an invitation for those who might be thinking about baptism. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe this can be uh, just a start point to to apply what's going on in this particular passage. But when we that that baptism, it shows what has happened to us because when we have been raised, we have been raised new. Which then brings us to the third thing that we are to do: uh, don't lie. Be renewed. Okay, again, we've combined two and one, but they again they go together. So Colossians three, verses nine through eleven, do not lie to one another, seeing you've put off the old self with his practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, it strikes me that lying is singled out and kind of given its own billing in this passage. And it's not included with malice, anger. It easily could be, but it's, it's not. And I think the reason why is because lying is being called out here as a, as a lifestyle. And in the culture of that day, hypocrisy and deception were just kind of a normal way to play the game. That's how you got things done. You put across something that you were not. And so you might even say what's being said here is quit your habitual lying. Quit your habit of lying. And now we might be in here this morning and go, well, good, I I don't have a habit of lying. But, you know, not so fast. (laughs) Because I think it's very accurate to go broad with this application. Because I think here's something else we could accurately say from this passage. Quit putting on masks. Quit projecting something that you are not. Quit trying to save face when something else is your fault. Live honestly. And the reason this is so important is because this is our path to fullness. This is our path to experiencing just pure Jesus. The more masks that we put on, the bigger masks that we put on, the more we try to put something across that we're not, the more we run the risk of not experiencing the true transformative power of the gospel of who Jesus is, which I think is why the second thing that we're to do is tied in with this because you have put on a new self. But it's not just a one-shot deal. This new self just isn't something that's put on and then it wears out. You've put on a new self and this new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And here's the the beautiful thing. We're not doing the renewing. God is. God is doing the renewing in us. And you know, if you ever find yourself saying the phrase, well, that's just the way I am, you know, I got to be honest with you, that phrase really should not exist in the believer lexicon. Because when we find ourselves just saying, well, that's just the way I am, we are saying more about our faith in God's transformative power than we are in our own selfish ambitions. Because when we say that's not who I am, then we are not giving God the chance to do the renewing that he wants to do. So if you find yourself saying that phrase or feeling that in any setting, in a roommate setting when you're having discussions about refrigerator philosophy, you know, or in, in a spouse setting when you're having discussion about tidiness and clutter, um, if you find yourself say, you know, operating in frustration with your children or bosses, co-workers, employers, if you find yourself saying, well, that's just how I am i gonna have to get used to it, you need to think about this passage. And think about the fact that god is the one who is doing the renewing and let him renew him in the image of him and this is a restoration of who we are to be and what we are to be and then, and, and by putting ourselves in a position to do that again we are experiencing as pure jesus as we possibly can and then it goes on to say uh one of the ways that we ex- exhibit this renewal is when we when we grab a hold of the belief that here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And that might seem a little bit non between not lying and being renewed, but the thing is, if we are all being renewed, we are all only seen through the blood of Jesus. That's how we're seen. There are no barriers. You know, the the areas that were listed here, the categories that Paul listed were were distinct categories that were thought of back in that culture, in that time. That's how they thought. For Jews, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. For Greeks, you're either Greek or you're non-Greek. He mentioned Scythians. Those were barbarians. They were basically enemies to everybody at one point in time. And, and but Paul's like, this is, this is now all pulled together. There are no barriers. And, you know, all of us, we're probably fairly, you know, uh, progressed in our thinking and feeling, and we may feel we have no prejudice. And we, as we look at this list, we may feel like we don't have you know, racial prejudice or these kinds of things. And, and we may not, and, but we might we might know it, but there are some things I think we are prejudiced. And if I were to make my own list of, of, what, of barriers that I might tend to, um, to use, and I need to think this way. In God's kingdom, there's not lazy versus motivated. <laughs> there's not funny versus not funny. There's not needy versus independent. You know, sometimes I think I have a bias and a prejudice toward certain situations and people in God's kingdom. That all comes together. The reason it all comes together is because we're being renewed in the image of our Creator. Christ is all and in all. Christ is our life. And when I see it that way and believe it that way, that's how I see people. That's how I see the segments and the sections around me. And then a fourth thing that we are to do and Brad has has introduced this and alluded to this, we are to put on. And here you might see, so in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I would like to think that this might be kind of the money passage of this particular chapter. Um, And you may have noticed there's a little bit of a change in direction with this passage. We've been told to put off. We've been told to put away. We've been told to put to death. Some things have been cleaned out. Now it's time to put on. Now it's time to fill it back up. You've taken away the old. You've taken away the decay. You scraped out the decay. You're ready to put new in. You scraped out the old caulk, you're ready to put in the new cock. So now here's what we put on. Here are things that we add to our life and to our hearts and to our minds. And there's a, there's a key principle at play here, I believe. And, and you look at these great traits, and I believe that if we are to let ourselves, let our minds be preoccupied with these great traits, these earthbound things, these things that try to tempt us, they will eventually lose their ability to distract us. I actually had an opportunity to uh, to put this into practice a few weeks ago. Um, we went to the Newport Aquarium, um, and about a month ago. And I don't know if anybody's been there. It's a great little place, and. And we're all we're prepared to go down. We've, been, we've, we've made our lunches. We're going to try to do this on the cheap. And, and we're, we're going to have our lunches down there. And, but, you know, we're going, to, we're going to take in the whole thing. It's going to be about a three or four-hour deal. On our way down, Jessica's reading our plan your visit part, on, you know, online. And that's kind of how we do it. <laughs> that's how we plan our visit. On our way down to the visit, we read about the visit. And on the visit, it says, you are to take no outside food into the aquarium. I'm driving, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, oh, this is going to be about three or four hours. I had an early breakfast. This is going to be a long stretch, long stretch without food, you know, we're, and we're going to try not to buy anything, at the snack thing. And then I thought, I'd already been looking at this passage and, and, and trying to ingest it, and I thought, well, okay, let's, let's try this. Let's try this out. So I'm going to this big aquarium that has these big, giant, great creatures, creatures that are created by God. I'm going to let myself be obsessed with them to the point that if I get hungry, it's not going to matter, <laughs> right? If if I get hungry, I j- it just won't matter. So that's that's what I'm going to do. Is I'm driving along, and so we we, we get there and and we get started and. And it is, a, it's an incredible place and, and it has these incredible creatures and fish. And, and of course, a hunger pain would come every once in a while. I'll, the wild thing about a hunger pain in the aquarium, what you think about are like Red Lobster, Captain D's, you know, <laughs> that's what's kind of going through my mind. And, but I kind of knock that out and, and uh, just keep on, keep on going. And uh, I keep going and we're going through, having a great time. We get to the end and of course the end finishes in the cafe, you know, the, and then which goes to the gift shop. They want to make sure you're going to buy some things. So we're in the cafe, and, and I looked at my watch, and it's like 12.30. And it's deep into lunchtime. I'm like, I did it. I did it. It works. And, and then Jessica, being the all-prepared mom, did have some layer bars, you know, some little food energy bars. Those don't count as food, so you can take those in. So And I thought, oh, this will be good. Now I thought, wait a minute. I'm going to stick with my analogy. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my plan. I'm going to wait till I get to the van and, and have lunch. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep letting these heavenly... Creatures, you know, uh, distract me. And and then I thought, ah, it's just an analogy. Have the layer bar. You know, so I did and had that. But it was true. It worked. Those great sea creatures and little sea creatures, man, they have everything in there. It kept me distracted. It kept me obsessed. And I was able to do that without even really thinking about food, except, again, for the Red Lobster and the Captain D's thought every every once in a while. But I really believe that that that's the pictures being shown us as we put on these new things, as we put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility, we don't have room for those things that are dead to us. There's not room for it. And eventually we'll realize there's also, there's no need for it. I'm gonna put this on, I'm gonna put it on like a new coat, and I'm gonna wear it like a new coat. And that's, the the wearing of garments is, is what's being described there when we put off and we put on. And one of the biggest things about this, there, there, there are two big things, I think, that are in this. And one of the biggest is when, when we're told to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And so as we think about compassion and heart, humility, kindness, meekness, and then we get to that one, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You know, I think what's being said here is if we don't forgive for whatever situations have come in our lives, then, then we are kind of saying to God and to everyone around us, I, I don't get it. I don't get what's been done for me. Because it says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And that phrase actually shows up several times in Scripture. Forgive just as you have been forgiven. Even in the Lord's Prayer, I think, that we say every day, every Sunday. Forgive just as you have been forgiven. And if we harbor unforgiveness, we are saying to God, either I don't get it or I'm, I'm not grateful, I don't understand it. And then one of the final little things that we are to put on there in that, in that passage is, um, and above all these, it says in verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that's a passage that needs no extra explanation. <laughs> Other than that word love, it's the agape word. Again, the multiple words for love that the Greeks have, which is that unconditional, sacrificial love. That's how we're to love. That's what, how we're to interact with people around us. And then it leads us to how we're to do it. So how are we to do this? And there are, there are three things that were shown of how we can do this that I think create a soft seedbed for these things that we are to do. Number one, let the peace of Christ rule. So Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And what's being described here is a condition of the heart that's being described. And the Greek word that's used for rule it really means judge or decider or umpire. So really what you, what you can say is, I'm going to let the peace of Christ decide what I'm going to get nervous about. You have something that keeps you up at night? You've got something that you're anxious for, that you're anxious about? you got something right now that you're nervous about? Say to that thing, I'm going to let you talk to my decider. I'm going to let you talk to the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is going to decide for me if I'm going to get nervous about you or not. And I got to tell you, when you're running those things through the filter of the peace of Christ, we will not get nervous. We will, we will have a peace that, again, passes understanding. Let that rule in your heart. Let that be where things go through that try to make you nervous or anxious. And then a second how-to uh, that we are to do, let the word of Christ dwell. Uh, verse 16, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart, in your hearts to God. That word dwell, as in dwell in you richly, it connotes a familiarity. Do you remember those times as a kid when you'd go to a friend's house and first time you're at the house, and you might be a little bit nervous about the house, like you don't know how some of the toilets might work, or um, you know there might be some different rules. You don't know if you can take food in certain rooms, and you just have no familiarity with the house. Then think about those houses you went as a teenager that you went to over and over and over again, and you were more familiar with that house than you were with your own house, maybe. You knew where the snacks were. You knew where the things were in the fridge. You knew how the toilets worked. You, know, you knew all this thing. Or think about that friend you have where on a moment's notice you can drop everything and drive a cross-country trip across country. That's the kind of familiarity that's being described in this passage. That's the kind of familiarity that Paul is saying he wants us to have with this book, with the word of Christ. Now of course, the word of Christ at this time, the Bible didn't really exist as we know it as the Bible, but the message of Christ was there, the Old Testament was there. Now this is what we have. This is what we have. Let it dwell in us richly. Do everything we can to put ourselves in a position well, this book is familiar, and it's not strange and peculiar. And then, did you notice that there's a part of that that passage that we can't do on our own? In order to let the word of Christ dwell richly, dwell richly in us, there's a part of that passage we can't do it on. Because then we are told to teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We have to do that with somebody else. We have to do that with each other. We, we, this is why we come together, so that we can create the soft seedbed to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, so that we can put our minds and our hearts into positions so that the things that are, that are dead to us, stay dead to us, and so that the things that are to be alive to us are to be alive to us, are alive to us. And then there's this final um, how-to. Number three, do all in the name of Jesus. And this is like the catch-all, verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything. And I believe that that last verse, that last phrase, is to give us our final unction of what we need to keep the pipeline open between us and Jesus so that we keep, we keep the hope alive of, of what we have and what we're waiting for, of where our true life is. To give us the opportunity to keep our anticipation fresh of what's to come so that we can be the hands and feet of the gospel in this world around us and, as best we can, bring heaven to earth. Um, I'm going to wrap up here in, in, in just a minute, but this past week, I want to tell just a really quick real life story. Um, this past week, Jessica and I were in, in Nashville for a production of a play called The Hiding Place. Now, some of you may recognize that, that title. And what was interesting about the play is that the director of the play is a friend of Jessica's from Pepperdine days, from college days. The lead in the play is uh, a friend of mine from years ago. And so we had to pull this together. A lot of great things happened. Well, The Hiding Place is a story of a Holocaust family, uh, a family in the Netherlands who kept, who hid Jews from the Nazis from the Nazi occupation. The name of the family is Tin Boom, and the, the daughter who survived all this is Corey Tin Boom. And she wrote a book about it in the 70s. It became a movie in the 70s, and, and it's beginning to get a new life. And, and the whole story is about she was the only one who survived out of the concentration camp, and it was a fluke that she was actually released, a clerical error. Her group was, was scheduled to actually be sent to the gas chamber like the next week or two. She was out. It was her sister who did not survive the concentration camp who saw the entire experience through the lens of the gospel. Corrie Ten Boom herself struggled throughout the experience. How can we love? How can we forgive? How can we love? And it was her sister in the concentration camp who kept saying, Corrie, if people can be talked to hate, they can be talked to love. It was her sister who said, Corrie, they, they, they saw a, a prisoner, a prison guard beating a prisoner, and Corrie's sister, her name was Bethany, her heart broke for the prison guard simply because he doesn't know love yet. He doesn't know what it is. And so when they were finally released, Corey was released. You know, all the liberation happened. Corey Tinboom then went on a ministry of teaching and preaching of forgiveness and love. But one of the things that she also did is she sought out and found some of the guards in that concentration camp and went to them and forgave them. She found the person, a Netherland native, who turned in their family to the Nazis, colluded with him. She found him, and she, she forgave him. She met him face to face. I don't know how in the world she could do that, but here's the thing. She is doing what Colossians 3 is asking us to do. Here's the other thing. This is an extreme example. I'm not expecting us to walk out of here and just be able to do this right away, but what I would hope and what I might invite us to do is that today, somehow, way take a baby step. Take a baby step in putting on all these things that we are to put on. Take a baby step away from those things that are dead to us. And let God just start doing some work. Let Him start doing some renewal work in you, in conforming you and me to His image. And let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens if we let, as we let the power of the gospel, pure Jesus, unleash in our lives and the worlds around us. I want to pray for us. We're going to have communion here in just a minute. And, and with communion here, it's, it's open. If you're a believer, you're invited to be a part of it. If you're not a believer, if you haven't grabbed a hold of what, what's going on here in Colossians 3, feel free just to observe. You don't have to be a part of this. You know, lots of coming and going. Nobody really knows who's coming and going. And just Maybe just pray. Just pray about what God might want to do in your life. And when you come up, you'll see two, uh, two jars. One's juice, one's wine. You can dip in either one. And then just um, and let God, let this be a moment and a time when you're saying to God, God, just I want this renewal. I want you to start this renewal in my life so that my gospel is pure Jesus and pure power of what it needs to be. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. God, I thank you for the life examples that you put in front of us. Father, um, I pray that your spirit would continue to, um, to water and cultivate the seeds that have been planted out of this chapter. God, there's so much here for us to know and to get. I thank you for how you do. Gently show us and teach us. God, we give you these moments. We give you this time. Thank you. Amen.